You get your Bibles, I'll get my garbage bin, and then we're good to go. You may be wondering why, but I will leave you in suspense. We'll get there shortly. We're going to turn, if you've got your Bibles, First Peter, studying, and very slowly, sometimes more slowly than others, making our way through this wonderful, power-packed little epistle that Peter writes about true grace. We're heading, if you want to get the verse ready in your Bibles or on the screens, we're heading for chapter 2, just one verse this morning, verse 16. And as you turn there, let me just pray for us. Father, I just thank you for these moments that we share together. I thank you that there is no moment in your presence that is the same as another. That your mercies are fresh and new every morning, that your faithfulness, your goodness, your grace is available today, that you're a God who teaches us to ask for our daily bread. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, give us today our daily bread. May we come to your word with openness, with readiness, with listening ears, with a receptive heart. Pray that your word would go forth with the power of your Holy Spirit to accomplish all that you desire in us personally, in our midst as your people. And Lord, we're just so grateful that we get together together to worship you, to experience, encounter your grace and your mercy and your goodness, to allow your words just to wash over us, to allow you, the God of eternity, to minister to our very hearts. So we just pray that your name, Lord Jesus, would be exalted. We pray that you'd make yourself known to each one of us here. Encounter us afresh, we pray. Just thank you, Lord, for your unfailing love and your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a sense of rest and peace here this morning, isn't it? <sighs> Good thing I don't preach from a reclining chair. So if you came in late, we're heading to First Peter. Chapter 2 and verse 16. For those who've been following along, if you haven't, that's okay. If you're visiting. But we're doing this series through 1 Peter. Peter has painted this incredible picture. It's a picture of grace. He said, I've, I've written to exhort and to declare or to proclaim true grace, that you may be established in it, that you may be planted firmly, fixed upon the rock of what this grace is. And the thing that I love about this book is he doesn't just paint this majestic, wonderfully rich in theology and application, this huge picture of grace, which he's done, but he also applies it right in the, the nitty-gritty, right in the daily grind of our lives. And in fact, he says, look, here's the picture of grace, but if you really want to see this grace expressed in your lives, the lives in the midst of uh, <clears throat> your churches, fellowships, relationships, there is a sense in which we've got to roll up our sleeves, as we talked about a few weeks ago. If you have the big dreams, the big picture at some point, you've still got to get out of bed. You've still got to engage. You've still got to appropriate that which the Lord Jesus has won. And so we talked about the big picture and grace in the midst of what I called the war. In verse 11, he says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's a personal war. That as Peter goes to unfold, then results in a public witness in character in the midst of a characterless generation. 
And he continues along into this verse that we're focusing upon this morning, chapter 2, verse 16. In the midst of this picture of the personal war, the public witness, he reminds us of this reality. Verse 16, let's read it together. Live as people who are free. Live as people who are free. First thought. There's a reality there, isn't there? We are free. It doesn't say people who want to become, people who need to strive to earn, who perhaps at some point in their lives, if they're particularly holy, that they may achieve this status of freedom. He says you are. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. He is free. There's freedom in the name of the Lord Jesus. But that was a comma. In verse 16, live as people who are free, comma, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, this is a theme that he will return to a number of times before we get to the end of this letter. But he makes these two points. One is that you are free, but freedom is not a cover-up. In fact, Galatians says it so well. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not just so we can cover things up, we can have a nice cloak, we can just pretend, but so that we can actually know the reality of his freedom in our hearts and our lives. His heart is for a free people, and he continues to call us to greater levels of freedom. And I want to make this point, this is applicable in any passage of scripture you read, but particularly perhaps when we read this word freedom, you see, Peter is not writing here to give us just some theological information. Now, this is a statement that is rich in theology. There's no doubt about that. It's wonderful information, but it's not information alone. He is writing this, and there should be, as we read this word, this call to freedom, as we understand, as we meditate upon it, there should be an experiential reality. Say so yes, yes. Yes, there should. So it's a little bit like this. My wife this past week had a birthday. Where is she? Happy birthday, my beautiful wife. And she, uh, amongst other things that she likes for her birthday, she always, well, she tells me anyway, she always appreciates the cards that I write. And I like to take time to do a handwritten card. It's not just one of those printed out things on the internet, but to actually put something of worth and meaning and substance in there. Who likes a nice handwritten card? A lot of us do. It's wonderful. And so I sat down this week to write her birthday card. And, you know, I could have put some very useful, interesting pieces of factual information about her. I could have said, dear sweetheart, your name is Alison. You were born in May. You have brown hair, brown eyes. We've been married for 13 years and have four children together. Happy birthday from your husband, Andrew. Blue eyes. I'm just, it's just an example. Just testing you. Now, if she'd received that car, other than the fact that perhaps there's a few incorrect facts in there, what response would she have had? She would have read the car, she probably would have looked at me a bit funny, and she said, really? How long did that take you to write? You know, a lot of effort put in there, thank you very much. There probably would have been little or no response, even though they're all factual pieces of information, yeah? Instead, and this is of course what I put in her card, I didn't give her factual pieces of information alone. They were all true. But I wrote with 
this sense of wanting her to have a response to what I wrote. So I wrote, as of course all husbands do, of the depth of my love for her and the passion in my heart, my unswerving loyalty and devotion, my overwhelming thankfulness. That's what all my cards are like, of course, as yours are, I'm sure. The gift that she is to me. And if she read that card, what do you think her response would have been? There would have been a response. There would have been an impact. There would have been an experiential reality to those words that were written. And there is nothing wrong with coming to the Bible for information. We are to learn. We're to study Scripture. But when it comes to something like freedom, it's not just for knowledge alone. It's not so we can just look at the Greek word and understand it. But it's so we can experience the reality. There should be a response, this overwhelming response, this encountering a reality of the freedom that we can find in Christ. You see, there is real freedom on offer. But the other side of that same coin is that there's real bondage that will keep us and prevent us from living in the freedom that is offered. There is. There's real freedom. There's real bondage. There's real stuff. There's real issues. And often there is a disconnect There's this disconnect between encountering Christ and his mercy, but actually experiencing the freedom that he offers. And I could just tell you that, but I thought today I might show you that. Hopefully it might distill a little bit. So I asked Adam, and very graciously or foolishly, he said that he'd be happy to be my sermon illustration for this morning. So would you welcome Adam up? It was, a, just like the, it was a very polite welcome, wasn't it? Not quite sure what to exactly to do. This is Adam. If you don't know Adam, he's one of our pastors. He's a very good friend of mine. I should tell you that in light of what I'm about to get him to do. Was, perhaps. Thank you. This over here is a garbage bin. If you hadn't noticed, there's this lovely garbage bin that I prepared earlier. And this garbage bin, Adam is Adam. This garbage bin here represents Adam's stuff. Adam's junk, Adam's issues. Adam's problems. Now, I tried to find a much bigger garbage bin, but that was the best I could do for our purposes. We'll, uh, oh, wow. Okay. There's some stuff in there. You'll have to take my word for it. It's got a bit of weight to it. How's your stuff? It's secure. Okay. So it's a little bit like this. You see, Adam comes along and he has this stuff. He has this baggage. He has this issue. He has this, you know, this, these sins that prevent him and in his life, and each and every one of us who's met the Lord Jesus, we've had a moment, whether we perhaps have words to put around it or not, where we have encountered both the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and his expression and his blood and our need for his grace. That's what it means to be saved. We're aware of our sin. We know that I, I am a sinner. I cannot help myself. I need his forgiveness. I receive his forgiveness. So Adam comes and he kneels at the cross very obediently, and there he is with all his baggage and his stuff, and you can see he's having a real encounter with the Lord here, tears streaming down his face. He's just experiencing this overwhelming sense of God's mercy and forgiveness and his need. Thank you very much, Jesus. He encounters the mercy, the love of Jesus. Thank you that you paid for all my sins. And then what so often we do, which I have in the past, which he does, is he hops up, and what does he do? He takes that very same garbage bin of stuff with him. Now, sometimes maybe there's a few things that come out of it, a few extra things. He's very spiritual that go on top, like having to read his Bible and all these works and other things. But we walk with us with this garbage bag worth of stuff. Now, Jesus came for freedom. Peter's written it. It is for freedom 
that he set us free. You are free. And yet we choose still to not appropriate or to live in the freedom that he offers. And so we come to church. This is now Adam at church. Welcome to church, Adam. He's worshiping God and he's praying. He's reading his Bible. He's fellowshipping with others. So, hey, God, mate, great to see you. Yeah, really good to see you. And nice pair of shoes this morning. And what's the blaringly obvious thing in this picture? There's a pile of garbage. It's a pile of garbage. And that's what we do. We kind of put this, that's what uh, Peter's saying. We have this cover-up. We have this nice, we have this religious facade. We come along and we worship and we fellowship, sometimes even trip over our stuff. And I thought, I did consider, you know, for impact of maybe filling this garbage can with really smelly rubbish. I spared you of that, don't worry. But there's this aroma sometimes that fills there and, you know, we're happy to fellowship and do all sorts of things without ever dealing with this stuff that is right here. So, thank you, Adam. You can leave your stuff behind. I'll help you deal with it later. Would you thank Adam for his illustration? I'm going to leave it here because that will have another application later on in the service. You see, there is this invitation as we come to Christ to know his freedom. And the first thing that often we ask is, well, isn't it automatically all fixed up at the cross? Because sometimes that's taught, sometimes we believe that. Shouldn't all of our problems, all of our baggage, all of our bondage, as we come before the Lord, as we receive his grace and forgiveness, as we're born again, as we're saved, shouldn't all of our issues automatically be dealt with? Well, the reality is, if you haven't discovered this yet, you will. They're not. Just look around you. Look around churches. Look around Christian friends you have. The reality is, we've got plenty of garbage bins. We might be in denial, but there is plenty of stuff around. And you see, here's the reality. It'd be a little bit like my poor wife again. If she bought me this beautiful gym, she said, Andrew, I really want you to get fit. I'm going to give you everything you need. I don't think this is prophetic, but... May, may well be. She said, in fact, I'm going to get this whole room of the house and we'll dedicate it to you. It can be your personal gym space, study the art equipment. You can have all sorts of everything you could possibly need to get fit in your life and healthy and buffed and good looking and even, let's move on. And so she's done all this for me. She's provided this incredible gym. And so every day I walk past and I say, wow, thank you. That's amazing. Thank you for that, Jim. I really appreciate it. Sometimes I even go in and maybe polish some of the equipment. I watch it shine and sparkle. I think this is amazing. What a wonderful gym I have. And then I walk out the door and I leave, never picking anything up. Then a month or two down the line, I say, you know what, sweetheart? I really appreciate that gym, but I'm going to have to take it back. She says, why? Well, I'm not losing any weight. It's just not having the effect and the desire that it should. Why is it not having the effect and desire that it should have in my own life. All the provision is made. What's the disconnect? There you go. We're not putting it into action. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. See, grace is not this cover-up that gives us the excuse not to deal with our stuff. Jesus has dealt with it all. Therefore, I've got no problems. I've got no, you've got no problems. We'll just cover our stuff. No, see, grace is the power and the provision, the blood of Jesus Christ that he has given us to be able to walk in the freedom that he paid for, to be able to deal with the stuff, to get real with God and say, you know what? Thank you. I am free. You've called me to live in freedom, but there is a response that I need to do. I need to get into that gym. 
I need to say, God, I just overcome by the power of your blood. I will overcome. So very quickly, I want us to look at a couple of things that somehow at some times prevent us from being able to deal with the stuff. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And whom he sets free is free indeed. So why would we not want to? Well, two reasons. First one is this. Sometimes we just genuinely don't want to. Sometimes there is something about this stuff that we do just find attractive. I mean, it's a good-looking bin. Actually, got intentionally, it's, it's like one of those Groucho bins, isn't it? There's something attractive about this bin. It's comfortable. It's familiar. And at times, we don't want to deal with it, and we justify it. We say, well, you know, I've seen Adam's bin, and Adam's bin is much bigger than my bin. So really, my bin's not that bad. Or perhaps we say, well, Lord, you know, I know there's a few issues, but you can't really be expecting us. I mean, it's, it's a broken planet. We're broken people. You can't honestly be expecting us to walk in purity before you, are you? Really? I mean, surely just a couple of vices. Surely just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Just one look, just one night, just one... In- I mean, surely that's okay. Surely you're not really calling us. The problem is we don't realize it's those very things that keep us in bondage. It's the garbage can that we carry around with us. Sometimes even the, the lie is this, that, well, isn't the end result of grace comfort? Isn't that what grace is all about? Isn't grace really all about us just experiencing it? And love, and I can just be whoever I want to be. I can just be comfortable. And in fact, in the modern church, you see, I think we have comfort down pat. Like we know how to make people just so comfortable. We welcome at the door. We come in. We serve them coffee. We sit them down. We get the lighting just right. We get the music. We get this. Everything's built around this reality of we want people to feel comfortable. Now, there is a sense in which we should feel comfortable when we gather together. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. It's our Heavenly Father. But the end result, comfort's not a mission statement. The end result of grace is not comfort. It's changed lives. It's freedom. It's God saying, I've come and I've died and I want you to live in the freedom. Not in bondage. You don't have to have this stuff hanging around. So sometimes it's because we don't want to. Sometimes, and this is a genuine thing, the reason that we don't deal with this stuff is because we actually don't know how to. It's not that we don't want to, it's that we don't know how to. See, we come here, as we did in the illustration, and we repent, we say, thank you God, you've taken all my stuff, and I'll leave it at the foot of your cross, and then you wake up the next morning, you go, you've got the difficult boss, you flick on the computer, you look at some stuff you shouldn't, and all of a sudden, oh, there it is again. And so you go back to the cross again. You say, Lord Jesus, I just leave it here. And you try harder and you try harder. And then somehow, it doesn't matter where you go or what you do, there it is. There is your stuff. Sometimes we genuinely don't know how to deal with the things that prevent us from living in the freedom that he offers. And I want to just address a couple of lies that keep us bound to bondage. Number one is this, if you're taking notes. Number one is the lie that somehow in my own strength, I'll be able to deal with this. i just got to try harder. Ever heard that one? You've messed up, but if I just try harder, if I just really try harder and try and try, 
It's, it's going to be dealt with. It's going to be, a, I'll be able to leave it behind. What ends up happening? The more you try, the more you fail. The more we try, the more of a mess we make. And then the more it becomes a part of us. It's this shame cycle of you just got to try. You just got to try. And you see, Jesus has a very different way of dealing with our sin. All religion and the world system says you've just got to try harder. You've just got to, you've got to keep on trying. But where the world and religion comes to judge and criticize and punish and tell us we're not good enough and not worthy enough, Christ came in the opposite spirit. You see, he came down and he said, there it is. I know this sin and I know this stuff, but here's my solution. And he stretched out his arms and he died on the cross. He was beaten and he was bled so that he could embrace us in the midst of our stuff and say, come and I'll show you free. Now you can truly be free. Now you can. Now you can know the freedom that is offered. The more we try and deal with our own issues, the more mess we make. The more we can come to him in his grace, the more we can experience the healing and freedom that he has offered. You see, I've heard this preached before and said that we can't focus too much on grace. The problem is if we focus too much on grace, then people are going to sin. They're going to sin more. There's a problem with that theology. People don't need to hear about grace to sin, do they? They're doing a good job all on their own. We need to preach on grace because grace is the only way that we can actually deal with the problems that are here. The only freedom that we can find, true and lasting freedom, is Jesus, who he sets free, is free Indeed. See, freedom is not a cover-up, but it's an invitation to walk in the fullness of what he has for us. There's a second lie as well. So the first lie is I can just try harder and somehow in my own effort I'm going to deal with the sin. The second lie, and I believe this is one of the greatest lies of the enemy in this area, particularly in the area of genuine bondage, is that somehow I can do this all by myself. I don't need anyone else. I can just keep all of my deep, dark secrets locked up here. I can just put the facade on and I can just deal with it in my own private and personal manner. Just come with me. One book earlier, the book of James, chapter 5. Because there's a call and there's a need for us not only to get real with God, but to be able to get real with one another. I'd like to say that I've seen many people with that kind of mentality come and walk into freedom in their lives. The reality is I've seen no one. I mean, it's it's the age-old ploy, isn't it? You get people isolated, you get them separate, you get them with all these compartments that are locked away, and you keep them in bondage forever. James puts it this way. In chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore... Confess your sins to who? To God? To one another. Ooh. And pray for one another that you may be healed. And I love this in that, that very picture of this confession of sins, confession of our weakness to one another, to each other. He then talks about the power of prayer. Elijah 
being this man, he prayed and it didn't rain. Like, come and confess and pray like you mean it. Pray like there is actually healing and freedom to be found as we confess and pray for each other. And he finishes off in verse 19 with a similar theme. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, this is serious because sin only leads us one place. Where does sin lead us? Sin leads us to death. And so there is such a high call. James is saying, just remember, you need each other. You need to get real. You need to confess your sins to one another, to pray for one another, that you might be healed. Because sin is only ever going to lead us one place. It's not just one look. It's not just one this. It's not just one whatever, one indulgence. It only ever leads to death. It's death or it's freedom. I know a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about a similar theme, I'd mentioned this guy that I've come across in the last couple of years, Dr. Ted Roberts, Pure Desire Ministries, just a guy who's done a lot of research in this area of freedom and just has some phenomenal resources to get people free. And he says exactly what I'm telling you now. He says the greatest strategy of the enemy is to convince people that they can somehow do this themselves. I don't need anyone else. I'm struggling with bondage, but somehow it's going to get better. In fact, he did some research and he asked people this. How many of us have people in our lives, and he's thinking guys with other guys and ladies with other ladies, who you can share your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets with? Like if you royally mess up, which we all do from time to time, how many people are there in your life that will keep you accountable that will pray for you, not with a sense of judgment, but with a sense of really wanting and desiring you to live in freedom. Well, the girls did slightly better than the guys on his survey, and I presume this was in the US context, but he came up with this fact, with this statistic, that the average Christian man, how many people do you think he has? The average Christian man, people that he would share his life with, his secrets that he would get prayer from, someone said it already, the average Christian man has zero. The average has zero. How do you get a zero average? Does that mean not one person does? Does that mean they've rounded it down and there's a few there? This is something that we do appallingly well at. We don't even know how to do this, this picture that God is giving us of a people that will come and be real, not only with God, but we will be real with one another, that will want to deal with the stuff, that will be honest. Man, I'm struggling this week. I've messed up. I've done this. I've looked at pornography. I've gone and had an affair. I've, you know, we talk about sexual sins, but often in that same context, there's things like bitterness and envy and gossip. Oh, oh. And I just, I've got this stuff. I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to help me walk in freedom. See, I've been so encouraged in in recent years, this year and last year in particular, the amount of testimonies from people who have visited our church and made comments like that two weeks ago, there was a number of visitors. There was two separate groups who said to me, of all the things that they experienced, first time at the church, they said, we were just overwhelmed by the love of people. 
was one lady said, I had this person behind me and she came and she shook my hand and communion. This person gave me a hug. And that, they were literally overwhelmed by the love that had been expressed to them through other people. Now, I want to congratulate you guys. That's fantastic. That's phenomenal. I'm so excited to hear testimonies of that. I don't want to lose that. We want to be the most loving place on the planet. But there is another level. There's another level that moves past just the loving of one another to the actual sharing of stuff, dealing with issues that are in our hearts and our lives and our midst. And I had, I'll just finish with this. There's one story from this past week and two realities that it's really made me, this is what I'm praying for. Let you into a little pastoral heart, a little moment for us, amongst a lot of other things. There's a couple of things that I would love to see the Lord do in our midst. I'll tell you about the conversation first, and then I'll tell you about those two, and then we'll close. I had this conversation from a lady, and again, she was here two weeks ago, where, as I said, I preached on a similar theme. She's not a lady who comes to the church. I don't know if it was her first time or if she had visited in the past, but she wasn't even from Cambridge. There was actually quite a few people who were there that Sunday from different parts of the country. But she called me up and she said, I don't know this lady. She said, you don't know me, but I just, I had to call you. I knew I had to call you. I said, why? Tell me your story. I could tell she was emotional. And she said, I was sitting in your church service, happened to be there on that Sunday. And she said, I heard the message preached. And she said, on the Sunday and for the week, it had been a week and a half before she called me, the whole time, the Holy Spirit has just been on me, just convicting me of this stuff, convicting, just bringing up all of this stuff, things that I have never told anyone. And it's got to the point where I just have, I had to call someone and confess before the Lord some stuff going on in my life. I said, praise God. Praise God. I'm not worried about that. I said, let me have it. And so she did. I won't tell you what she shared, but there were some significant, significant issues. And so I prayed for her. And I said to her, look, I am so glad that you've called. And just confession and getting real with God is the first step. But I said, you've got to have people as well around you that you can get real with. Are you involved in a church? Where are you from? So yeah, yeah, I go to a church. And so I said to her, fantastic, is there some people, is there some leaders, some elders in the church that you can go to and share with them and allow them to help you walk out what will be a process, a process of getting free. See, it's not an instant thing. And at that moment, she laughed at me. I said, why are you laughing? She said, oh, well, they are the last people in the world that I would ever tell. There is no way that I could tell anyone in my church be they pastors, be they elders, or be they friends. And so here are the two realities out of that story, out of that conversation that I'm praying for us. Number one, and I'm, I'm praying that we will be a people who deal with our stuff, that we will get real with God, that we will say, God, I mean, James puts it this way. If you believe that you're without sin, you're deceived. You're living in deception. Each of us has sin, we have issues, we have baggage. And I pray that we would be a people. That's not the last thing we do, it's not the last resort. It's the first thing to say, God, every time we gather, show me, is there stuff there? I want to live in this freedom 
that you have paid everything for. And the second thing is this. I would love for us to be a church where freedom happens. Where freedom happens. Not the last place that anybody would ever want to tell their deepest, darkest secrets, but the first place that people would see us because of our freedom, because of our openness, because of our honesty. We're not judging one another. We're wanting each other to get free. We're confessing our sins so that we can be healed, so that we can live in freedom. We get excited when someone comes forward and says, man, I'm, that's me. I'm addicted to anger. I am just addicted to alcohol. This week I did drugs. I looked at pornography. I cheated on my wife. Not to be condemning the finger, but praise God, you are in the right place because this is the only place on the planet where true freedom can be found. I want to be a place where freedom happens, where we can genuinely get real with people. And I do want to say this, in that whole area, a lot of you probably thinking, well, I don't have anyone even in this church here I could share my deepest, darkest secrets with. The reality is that those kind of relationships, they don't just happen. They're intentionally cultivated and developed. As we choose to commit our lives to each other, as we choose to be open, not judgmental and critical, but as we choose to put up our hand as well and say, I need help. I would love for us to be a place where we are a pornography-free zone, where there is nobody in our midst who is addicted to that vice, where there is nobody here who sits and comes to worship with bitterness, with anger, and with resentment in their hearts. But we've got to get real with God, and we've got to get real with each other. We've got to say, yes, I need help. Would you help me in freedom, to walk in freedom? I would be so encouraged if there was a flood of phone calls this week from people, and I'll forward as many as I can to Adam, <laughs> of people saying, I need to get free. I need to get free. I'm not walking in freedom in this area of my life. And we will help you. There's people in this church who are qualified far beyond my years who can help you get free. There's other ministries even around the city if we needed to. I'll fill them all up. I just want to encourage us to be a people who have this passion to walk in the freedom that he offers. So I know our time's up, but if are you here, Alison, it'd be great if you could play. I want you to just have a moment to get real with God. I'm going to do it this way. If you have a pen and paper, I want you to get it ready. And now this bin here that's been used to represent Adam's stuff, praise the Lord, this is no longer Adam's stuff. This is all of our stuff. And what I want to encourage us to do, just as a way, sometimes a prophetic act is so important. There's already stuff from the early service. I want to fill this bin with our stuff. And I don't care if you need 10 pieces of paper to get real with God, to confess all your stuff. But I want to give you a moment and say, Lord, would you show me, is there any baggage in my life? And then all you're going to do is we're going to all come down the aisle here. You're going to rip it up and leave it there at the foot of the cross. Just as that prophetic sign of we're going for freedom. Now, I would encourage you as well that if the Lord does reveal some significant things, if there's areas that you know are areas of bondage, you're actually in bondage. You cannot get free. You've tried. You've done everything you know. 
I want to challenge you and encourage you to speak to someone this week. Call a pastor up. Call me up. Call an elder. If you've got people you know that you haven't really shared your deepest, darkest secrets with, but you trust them, call someone. Get someone praying for you. We've got to walk with each other in that area of freedom. You know, as I said, I want to just say this again. I am not discouraged. I am excited. If I don't mind, I don't care if you've been in the church for 10, 20 years, you've walked with the Lord your, your whole life. This is a moment of freedom. I'm so excited for men to come forward and say, yep, I'm addicted to pornography and this is it. I'm getting free. So excited for people to come and say, you know what? I am. I have this issue with alcohol. I know I'm abusive to my kids, violence, whatever it is. This is our moment where we're saying, God, we're walking in freedom. So let's do that when you're ready. You can bring it forward and just rip it up and put it in this bin.